Let's stand together. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. Glory, hallelujah. Jesus lifted me. Thanks. Let's do something a little bit different. Just us ladies. Ready? Just us ladies. I I was sinking down. And ladies, that's not I didn't pick you for that verse for any reason. But just us ladies, I was sinking down. Ready? I was sinking down, but Jesus lifted me. I was sinking down, my Jesus lifted me. I was sinking down, but Jesus lifted me. Glory. Ready, guys? Satan had me bound, guys. Ready? Satan had me bound, but Jesus lifted me. Satan had me bound, Jesus lifted me. Satan had me bound, Jesus lifted me. Glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. Their last meal together before he was betrayed. After prayer in the garden, he was arrested, tortured and questioned until the next day. That day the mob cried out, crucify him. The sweet rose of Sharon was crushed on the cross. A rich man named Joseph took care of the body While Mary and loved ones mourned their precious loss Last night they buried the rose in the garden The fragrance of sorrow hung thick in the air Satan was breathing a sigh of relief While angels were silently that his son would arrive in great power, but the body was waiting and counting down. Mary and Martha spent the third morning gathering spices and watched for sunrise. The disciples were hiding, defeated. Try to remember Christ said he would arrive. Soldiers were sleeping outside of the grave, unaware that their prisoner was stirring inside. The stone rolled away, Jesus stepped from the darkness, the dawning of grace.
Turn to hymn number 44. I am thine, O Lord. I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice in all my love to thee. But I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee. From me song for you. It's a little newer, not not terribly new. It's entitled, You Are My All in All. Yeah. 
get so excited and be so thrilled about the message of a song that you might forget where you are. I'm going to share this secret with just you folks because I trust some of you. There's not hardly a song service goes by that I don't get so excited about what we're doing that I forget where I am. And you'll notice I'll sing the wrong verse or I'll start in the wrong place, and that's what it is. And there's no, no harm in that, I don't think. Do you? While I'm talking, let me just go ahead. There's my music. <laughs> I did see. I couldn't even find my music a while ago, and it's right up here. There's a chorus, and it's called Yes, Lord, Yes. And that, that's really most of it. Yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll sing yes, Lord, yes. I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me, with my whole heart I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. If you know yes, Lord, yes, you've got most of it, don't you? All right, let's, let's try that one more time and see if we can sing that Yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me, with my whole heart I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. Yes, Lord, yes. I'll say yes, Lord, yes. I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me, with my whole heart I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. Let's do it one more time, but when we say that word yes, I want us to sound like we're committed. <laughs> I want us to sound like we mean it. All right, so we'll bear down on yes, Lord, yes. Here we go. Ready? Yes, Lord, yes. To your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes. I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me, with my whole heart I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. Yes, Lord, yes. I will. Number 40, hymn number 40, with my whole heart I'll agree to trust and obey. Hymn number 40, when we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what glory Extensively helping uh, to train to start a Bible institute and seminary over there, as well as some other countries in Russia 
and Finland and some other respected places just been used all over and I'm so glad that God's using him for our revival and uh, speaking through him and so pray for Brother Joe, uh, pray for uh, the song service as we, and so after this next part, Brother Joe will come preach to us God's word. We have special by Miss Betty. Open my eyes that I may see. No. 
open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus, to reach out and touch him and say that we love him. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. Open our eyes, open our ears, and as we prepare for the message, oh, that ought to be our prayer. Let's see if we can tackle this little chorus right now. Make it our prayer before Brother Morel brings the message to us. Open our eyes, Lord. been talking about the last couple of nights about promised land living. And there was Moses, the leader of the children of Israel, and he stood at the border and he looked over into the land and he had led those people, he had pleaded with those people, he had given his life for those people. And as he stood before them and he cried out in the book of Deuteronomy, I often wondered what went through this man's heart. The passion not only did he have for his God, but the passion he had in leading people to want them to experience all that God had for them, promised land, living. sad part about it, Moses many times had to put up with a lot of junk. Just a lot of junk. And I'm using a very polite word. And many times he had to leave them when he didn't have anybody standing with him. But yet the passion and the burden and the desire that Moses had to lead the people in. He didn't get to go in himself. Joshua passed it on. You see, it's all about, in our ministry, 
is all about God's man leading and equipping others to lead so that the church might become all that it, He intended it to be. I want to do something different here. Brother Michael has no idea what I'm about to do, but Brother Michael, I want you to come help here. This is your Moses. This is your Joshua. This is your leader. His passion, his desire, his heart is that you might experience all that God has for you in this promised land living. I don't know how many deacons are here that are tonight, but you see, as we're going to see even in our message tonight, every leader needs to be surrounded by leaders who are standing with him that they together might equip others. And if you're a deacon in this church, would you come forward and join with me to pray for your pastor? We'll just gather around and put our hands on him. Brother Allen, you come up and join us too, please, sir. Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for Brother Michael. Lord, you have placed him in this congregation among these covenant people, your very own people, to be their Moses, to be their Joshua, to lead them to the heights that you would have them to achieve, to lead them to the promised land, to experience all that you have for them in the riches of Christ Jesus, that they might be a caring community that literally not only impacts and transforms this community, but reaches out throughout all the earth. And Father, I pray for him, strengthen him, Encourage him, bless him, protect him, give him wisdom. And I pray for these deacons, Lord, that they might surround him as leaders and follow his leadership and also being care, become caring servants themselves that the entire church might look beyond themselves and become carers in a world that's uh, caregivers in a world that so desperately needs to experience the comfort and care of the Lord. Let this church be a lighthouse of what it means to experience the promised land. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What you just saw and what we just experienced and what we just did is exactly what Moses addresses in Deuteronomy chapter 1. He stands at the border... And he's looking over into the promised land and he reflects back. And he is reminding them of what the ministry is, this caregiving ministry of the good life of promised land living. And I invite your attention, Deuteronomy chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 9. And I want you as we read this text and as we prepare our hearts to receive this message, I want you to pray from your heart, God, Help me to see who I am. Help me to see what I am. Help me to see where my focus is. And help me, O oh Father, to become a caring giver, a caregiver that literally spills outside the wall of this building and impacts this community. Because that's what God had. God wanted to take them into the promised land that they might experience all of the fullness and the victory of all that He is, that they as a nation would not live in isolation, but they as a nation would live in transformation, impacting all of the surrounding countries and revealing unto them promised land living, the blessings of a people who enter into a covenant relationship with God. The blessings of the Lord your God, so that the Lord their God might also become others' God. In Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 9, here is this leader, and he cries out to the people on the border of the promised land. And he says, And I spake unto you at that time, saying, I, and this is why we did this tonight. I am not able to bear you myself alone. 
Let that sink in. The heart of the pastor, the heart of the leader says, I cannot bear this burden alone. The Lord your God hath multiplied you, and behold, you are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. The Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times so many as you are and bless you as He hath promised you. In other words, God wanted them to realize their full potential of growth and blessing. And then He comes back to this. How can I myself alone bear your cumbrance and your burden and your strife? Take you wise men. This is what I'm talking about team building tonight. A team of leaders. A team of caregivers. Take you wise men and under and understanding and known among your tribes and I will make them rulers over you, leaders over you, caregivers over you. And you answered me and said, the things which thou hast spoken is good for us to do. I like that. So I took the chief of your tribes, wise men and known, and made them heads over you, captains over thousands, and captains over hundreds, and captains over fifties, and captains over tens, and officers among your tribe. We're not talking about dictators, the Lord over people. We're talking about caregivers that listened to the people and cared for the people. And I charge your judges at that time, hear the causes between your brethren and judge righteously between every man and his brother and the stranger that is with him. And you shall not respect persons. In other words, don't show favoritism to anybody. What are you talking about? Don't let the good old boy system kick in. You shall not respect persons in judgment, but you shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's, and the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at this time all the things which you should do. Moses said, I cannot bear this burden alone. From 1986 to 1990, Frank Reed was held hostage in Lebanon. And for months at a time, Reed was blindfolded in Lebanon in captivity with the Muslims. He was living, he was, his eyes were blindfolded. He was living in complete darkness or chained to a wall and kept in absolute silence for months. And on one occasion, he was moved to another room, and although he was blindfolded, he could sense others were in the room, yet it was for three more weeks before he dared to peek out from underneath the blindfold, and he discovered that he was chained to Terry Anderson and Tom Sutherland. He had been beaten by the Muslims. He had become very ill. He had been tormented. He had been kept in this isolation. And the thing after he was released, the thing that he said, the thing that got to him more than anything else was this overwhelming feeling that nobody cared. He said in an interview with Time Magazine, nothing I did mattered to anyone. And I began to realize how withering it is to exist with not a single expression of caring around me. And in my captivity, I learned one overriding fact. Caring is a powerful force. And if no one cares, you are truly, absolutely alone. You ever felt that way? You see, in God's plan... In God's plan, in this whole concept of promised land living, the church, the local church, is to be a caring community, a sharing community of believers. And that, that, that is not only caring for one another and sharing with one another, but they are totally involved in making themselves known and even more importantly, making their God known in the community by their caring and by their sharing. And when the church is functioning in this role, 
the blessings of the good life, this promised land living, is fulfilled and realized and enjoyed. What I'm saying is this, dear church, and I believe this is one of the greatest indictments against missionary Baptists. The good life, the promised land life, can never be found in isolation. It cannot be found in isolation. Let's note the setting of this story here that we just read in Deuteronomy. One day, Jethro's, uh, uh, Jethro, who was Moses' father-in-law, came to visit him in the wilderness. And, and at this time, the children of Israel, the population of the people that he was leading, it was estimated at two million people. Two million Moses would leave at the crack of dawn every morning. He would get back late at night, spending all of his waking hours of carrying the burden alone as their pastor, as their shepherd, and as their leader, hearing all of their problems, dealing with all their disputes, and carrying all the burdens of the people. And one day Jethro came to him and he said, Son, if you keep on going like this, my, my daughter is going to become a widow and I don't really want to take her under my wing again. No, he didn't say that. And despite all of your hard work and despite of all your care and concern, these people are not being cared for and you're killing yourself. There are two problems how to care for the people, and at the same time, how to bear the load. How to bear the burden. And that's what Moses was overwhelmed with. And so it came to a point that Jethro, in his wisdom, his father-in-law, said, Son, you're going to have to share this with others, and you're going to have to develop a leadership team, and you're going to have to bring in other people around you that not only that they become caregivers, but then they turn around and equip people, other people to be caregivers. You see, the church is to be a caring and sharing community of believers who reflect the goodness of God, the grace of God, the promises of God. They are a caring, sharing community. And as we talked about last night, who know the Lord intimately and are related to the Lord their God. And the Bible teaches that those who are in leadership are required to be equipping others in the congregation to do the work of the ministry. This is Ephesians 4. And the people in the congregation are to see themselves, you are to see yourselves as people who share and take up the load, take up the burden, and you yourself, instead of continually being served, you are to take up the load in sharing and caring ministry among yourselves and in the community. Somewhere along the line, I don't know how it got started, but I pray that it will be stopped. Someone got the idea that church means a large group of people paying a small group of professionals to do the ministry for them. This idea is unbiblical and impractical. We pay the preacher to do the ministry and we come and we sing and we pray and we have a good time, but we do not do anything to lift that burden from him. And the way the church is supposed to work is that those in position of leadership are to encourage and to teach and mobilize the people in the pews to be involved and to do the work of the ministry of sharing and caring in the community. So let's note this master plan, this wonderful master plan by the hand of God through Jethro that took place. First of all, I want you to notice this, the immensity of the people problems. The immensity of the people problems. Listen, any time... Anytime you have two or more people in one place, there's going to be problems. There's going to be problems. 
And as sinners, we all have a tendency as children in Adam to look out for our selfish interest. And when sinful people with selfish interests get together, we're going to have problems. That's why you have problems in churches. And I want you to note the immensity of these problems. And I want, I want you to notice we look in Deuteronomy, I want us to notice some common people problems that are common to us too. First of all, there was a numerical problem. Look at verse 10. The Lord your God had multiplied you. Faithful pastor friend of mine who absolutely, who absolutely loves the Lord and he loves the congregation to whom God has is, is given him the opportunity to pastor. He pastors a church of 600 members, active members. One day he asked me, he says, Joe, do you know what the difference between a church that runs 600 and, run, and one that runs 150? I said, no, what? He said, 450 more problems. <laughs> and what happens with churches, and I see this all the time, what happens with churches because we are people and we have a bent towards selfishness. And a lot of times churches get to the point, well, if we're going to be people and we're going to have problems, let's just keep it all in the family. So we don't want our church to get any bigger than what it is. We want to keep it in the family. You ever heard anybody complain, well, I just don't want our church to get big. I don't want our church, I like it the size we are. You want everybody else to go to hell? It's not a social club for your benefit. It is a caring ministry that's to impact the world. And in 430 years since Joseph and his brothers and family settled in Egypt with about 70 people, the number had now grown to 2 million. That means that each family after that had to produce three sons and three daughters. And anytime God blesses the church numerically, that is always something to rejoice about, but it's always something to worry about because you've got to deal with people. And the more people, the more the problems that need to be addressed. So they had numerical problems. They had also social problems. Think about this. Because a whole generation died in the wilderness, somebody had to conduct thousands and thousands and thousands of funerals. The bereaved had to be comforted. Who took care of the widows? Who took care of the children? People wandering around hopeless in the wilderness, a barren wilderness, that in itself created problems. And Moses has to deal with it. Can you imagine pastoring a church of two million? Then there's the personal problems. And this is what he's talking about in verse 9. He says, I am not able to bear these burdens alone. As he speaks to them as a pastor. Moses said, you are too heavy a burden for me to carry by myself. How can I bear your burden? How can I bear your problems? How can I bear your disputes all by myself? Note the word burden. Are there burdens? Yes. What are some of those burdens? There's the burden of the guilt of sin. Psalm 38, 4 says, For mine iniquities have gone over mine head as a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. Many carry the burden of guilt of sin. And I'm talking about genuine guilt. We feel when the Holy Spirit says we have sinned and we repress it instead of dealing with it and confessing and returning to the Lord in repentance. And God is there and wanting us to experience forgiveness. And somebody has to minister to those who are carrying the burden of sin. It's always there because you're always dealing with sinners. Then there are people that are carrying the burden of the circumstances of life. In 2 Samuel 15, 33, we find these words of David. David said, If thou passest on with me, then shall thou be a burden unto me. Let me give you the setting of this. When David was fleeing from Jerusalem, Absalom had led a civil strife and rebellion against him. His very own son had betrayed him as a traitor out to, out to capture and overthrow his father's kingdom. And as he arrives on the top of the Mount of Olives, he meets his friend Hushai, who volunteers to travel with him. 
And David says, I don't want you going with me. You'd just be a burden. Can you imagine circumstances being so overwhelming in your life that even anybody around you becomes a burden, even your friends? But that happens, doesn't it? Then there's the burden of our own despair and depression. Job cried out in Job 7.20, I am a burden to myself. So Moses was trying to bear all these burdens, numerical problems, personal problems. And then there were spiritual problems. In, in Exodus chapter 18 and verse 15, And Moses said unto his father-in-law, The people come unto me to inquire of God. I want you to get this. Moses said, The people come unto me to inquire of God. And that is the role of a pastor. That is the role of a shepherd. But what kind of inquiries are there? There are the inquiries of those who seek God. Now, they don't really have a major problem. They come to you, and what a blessing when a brother or sister comes to you and says, I want more than anything else God's will in my life. How can I find His will? What should I do? What do I need to do to discover what God wants me to be? What God wants me to do? Where God wants me to go? Now nobody can be another person's Holy Spirit, but yet as leaders we are called upon to give sound principles and directives. And we can teach and we can pray and we can minister to people who are seeking. And that's a real delight in ministry. But not only you have those who seek God's will, but you have to deal with people who fight God's will. And that's a real burden. For everyone that sought it, there's always those who fought it. Those who are, those who are responsive, they need direction. Those who are rebellious need correction. And there is nothing more draining as having to deal with people who are fighting God's will. And they don't, they don't need ministry. And, and I, what, I, what I want to say is they do need ministry, but they need to be spoken to directly. Listen, if you don't turn from the era of, uh, the era of your way, there are going to be consequences. And it is such a burden on a pastor when he has to deal with someone that is fighting God's will over some petty, goofy thing. I went on vacation three weeks ago. I hadn't taken a vacation in two years since our pastor died. And Jesse and I went on vacation for about ten days, and we got back on Friday. Got in about two o'clock, thirty minutes. After we're at the house, I'm unloading the luggage. I come in, I just sit down in the living room fixing a cup of coffee after the long drive to relax. There's a knock on the door. So a lady in our church comes over and says, I've been waiting for you to come back. I said, okay. I just want to let you know before you hear it from someone else, I'm leaving the church. I said, okay. Why are you leaving the church? Because when we had our missions conference, I did not like the way you did the missions conference. And I said, well, I disagree with you. And that's your problem. And you can make your choice. But what are you teaching your daughter? Because you have jumped from church to church to church just getting mad over stuff. And yet we pastors have to waste our energy with people like that. So I told her, it's nice having you here. Goodbye. Because I'm not going to chase people like that. I'm not going to do it. Then there are those who not only seek God's will, there are those who fight God's will. There are some people who just can't make up their mind. <laughs> and boy, those can drive you crazy as a pastor too. They aren't responsive. They're not rebellious. They just flip-flop all the time. One day they say, not my will, but thine be done. Another day they say, not thy will, but my will be done. 
And these people need protection. They need protection from themselves. They're prone to drift from God and get in all kinds of trouble. And so Moses was trying to minister to all of these people. And then not only was he dealing with numerical problems, not only was he dealing with spiritual problems uh, uh, and, 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 and personal problems, but he also dealing with attitude problems. Look at verse 27. We read this last night. And you murmured, or you griped and bellyached, and you complained in your tents, and said, because the Lord hated us. And there are always those who carry their emotions on their shoulders. And they were quarreling, they were backbiting, they were criticizing. And most of it, anytime this happens, listen to me, it's always some form of jealousy. Now when people are jealous, they never stand up in the church and say, Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, I want to make one thing perfectly clear right now to all of you in this congregation. I am jealous. You ever seen that happen in the church? I don't do that. Number one, they're not going to admit they're jealous to anybody, but they're going to get around and yak and talk and everything else in a bad attitude and try to rub it off on everybody else. And they find something else to say. And from, listen, try to picture Moses. From dawn to midnight, every day. Moses, listen to this junk. And can you imagine him coming in, crawling in the bed at night, slipping up under the covers, looking at Mrs. Moses, and she looks at him and says, Honey, how did your day go today? <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. I want to tell you something. What I've just described to you, I've been there. Brother Michael's been there. Brother Allen's been there. Anybody's been a pastor and been in ministry, we may not have to deal with it with two million people, but I guarantee you we have to deal with the same stuff. So God has a plan. What is that plan? Notice the simplicity of the plan. What is God's plan? It's a simple ministry plan of building ministry teams within the church. You know why? Most churches never get over 100 or 120 consistently because that's only about all that one or two men can handle. But when people in the church step up as leaders and become caregivers, it is unlimited potential of growth that a church can have. And so God comes up with this plan through Jethro to, to bring about people and to lift up people who have a willing and sensitive heart before the Lord their God Faithful leaders who care, men of integrity, leaders within the church who care about people, and they deal intimately and personally with people in need. And this, this leadership that we're talking about, this team that we're talking about, it's not merely the paid staff, but it's honest, loving, reliable people in the church who have decided, you know, it's about time that I grow up and quit being so childish. And, and get my attitude off myself and my own selfish whims and start caring for others like Christ cares for me and become people not only of integrity but of intensity. They were to fear the Lord, properly relate to the Lord, be full of God's wisdom and understanding. Those who are willing to allow the Holy Spirit to work in them, men and women of spiritual intensity, not only were they to be faithful leaders who care, but God's plan in building this team within the church is faithful followers who are willing to commit. Certainly not everyone can be leaders. But there comes a time that all of us must step up and take the lead. Now you get that? Not all of us can be leaders, but it comes a time that every one of us must step up and take the lead. What do we mean? In the context of the New Testament church, that means to take the lead to be servant models within the church and within the community. And that means that we have to move away from a self-centered life to a life of ministry, a life of not being served, but a life of serving others. And God is committed to molding and shaping and stretching 
and pruning you into that kind of person and into that kind of church? Or are you cooperating? Well, what does it take to cooperate? It takes a willingness upon your part as an individual to care. To care. Do you care about others? Or do you just care about yourself? If all of your life's concern is wrapped up around yourself, you have no idea of what a Christian is. Let me ask it in this way. Can you think of one incident this past week that you reached out to somebody in the community to show them the care of Christ? One incident. Can you think of anything the last week that you personally reached out to someone outside this church to show them the care of Christ? Then it not only does it take a willingness upon our part to care, but it also takes a willingness to change. Not only change myself, but to change the whole mindset of a church. To change the whole mindset of the leadership of a church. Are you willing to be changed by God? Are you willing to let God take you into the promised land? Are you willing to God to change this church to make it all that He wants it to be and let it begin with you? And people who experience the good life, the promised land life, are being constantly and continually changed by the power of God. Well, how does that happen? He takes you out of your comfort zone. And then there must be a willingness to challenge or for a challenge. And that takes you out of your comfort zone. You know, a lot of times people, listen very carefully, a lot of times people say they determine the will of God by, well, I have peace in my heart about this or I don't have peace in my heart about this. We say it all the time. I say it. Well, I've prayed about this and I don't have peace in my heart about that. So therefore, I will not do it. You know, I got to looking at that in Scripture and I got to looking at that in my own life and I don't think that's true. Because every time I've ever been confronted with the will of God, you know, like when God called me to be a missionary to Lithuania and I thought, Lithuania, and I thought about going into a land I'd never known in a former communist country to a people I did not know in a culture I had never experienced, a language I had never heard, and leaving my family, I didn't say, woohoo, I've got peace in my heart. I didn't have any peace. In fact, I was overwhelmed. Oh, my Lord, what am I going to do? And God reveals His will. And when I, it's been, I don't know how it is with you. This way is when God reveals His will to me, it's not peaceful at all. It takes me totally out of my comfort zone. When does the peace of God come? The peace of God comes when by faith I accept the challenge, do not give in to my fears and do the will of God, then the peace comes. But if I would just walk around determining, well, I prayed about this and I don't have peace about it. Many times we've prayed about it and we don't want to get out of our comfort zone and the thought of getting out of our comfort zone robs us of peace. Are you willing to get out of your comfort zone? Are you, are you ready for the challenge? And that takes a reorganization. It takes a reorganization of our priorities. It takes a reorganization of our attitudes. It takes a reorganization, yes, even of our church structure. And you no longer have the freedom to do things your way. You're now committed to somebody else and something bigger than yourself. And the good life is a life of challenge. So Moses stood before the people and said, I can't bear this burden anymore, folks. And God raised up leaders to surround him that were willing and ready to carry the burden with him to give care to the people and care to the community. And when that happens, your church not only experiences the good life of promise, but your church begins to become a reflection to the entire community. 
of the good life of promise. So if we are to enjoy the good life God's way, we need to be a part of and become involved in a caring, sharing community of believers. In football, no serious athlete wants to be on the sidelines. He wants to be in the game. And where are you in the Christian life? In the game? Or are you observing from the sidelines? I have a good friend of mine. He said the problem with the church today is we got a lot of people who like to huddle, but they don't like to run any plays. And our churches are spending too much time huddling. That's what we're doing right now. We're in huddle. But if we're going to reach the promised land, we've got to get outside these doors and run the plays that the coach has called. And the one common bond that brings us together as a community of believers, that brings you together as a community of believers, is your common faith in Christ Jesus the Lord for salvation. That's the common thing. And yet that is the common thing that the entire world needs, whether it's Promised Land community, whether it's Hamburg, whether it's Ashley County, or whether it's Belize. The one common bond that brings us together is our common faith in Christ. And if you've never, ever come to that common faith in Christ and experienced Him, then what I've talked about tonight is not going to really mean much to you. It's easy to be religious. It really is. And to sit on a church pew all of your life, and yet the Word of God have no impact on your life. And that is evidence that a person has never been saved. But to those who are saved, we have the Spirit of God within us, and the Word of God is alive. It is living. And when the Word of God is preached, sometimes it comforts, sometimes it convicts, sometimes it hurts, sometimes it takes us out of our comfort zone. It stretches us, it pulls us, it prunes us, it gives us faith lessons in areas that are bigger than ourselves, God-sized portions. Where are you? And I pray that God will use this message to help you to understand that the church being the church is all about being a caring community. But I also pray that God will use this message tonight to open your eyes to see this man cannot bear the burden alone. Are you killing? He needs you. And there is nothing that is more beautiful, there is nothing that is more powerful than a church of Jesus Christ who loves the Lord, who worships the Lord their God, and rallies around a godly leader, and they walk together into the land of promise. What about you? What will you do? Let's stand and pray together. Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name. God, I pray for Brother Michael, Reese. Lord, I understand what a pastor goes through because I am one and I've been there. And Lord, you've called us into this ministry of caring and sharing and Lord, many times the burden seems so great. And Father, I pray that people will lay aside their sin, lay aside their selfishness, lay aside their pettiness, and they'll come together and they will bear that burden with Him, with faith in Christ, and become a caring and sharing community, a giving community within this community. 
Father, that's what revival is all about. It's not just a spiritual high during an invitation that doesn't change your life, but it's a change of direction, a change of lifestyle, a change of opinion, a change of attitude where commitments are made to care and share and show people the love of Christ and the power of promised land living. Lord, move in this invitation. Speak to hearts. May people repent of their selfishness. May they rally together for this common cause that is eternal. In Jesus' name, amen.